Who knows what Jay-Z, J.K. Rowling, Bill Gates and Oprah Winfrey all have in common? Okay, I will tell you then. They have all overcome failure in one shape or form to go on to gain success in their respective careers. Welcome to My Perfect Failure. Join us as we delve into the world of our perfect failures. We will interview, explore, and discuss how our perfect failures can lead us to success. Join us and tune in. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of My Perfect Failure. Today, we've got a wonderful guest for you. So my guest today has started a very successful career in New York on Madison Avenue. As a creative director and co-founder of one of the most awarded ad agencies in America, his successful campaigns were covered in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, USA Today and Forbes. He is also personally honoured at both the White House and the UN for a successful public service campaign he spearheaded. But in the first seven years of his career, he was actually fired four times. So today on My Perfect Failure, we are delighted to be joined by the wonderful John Follis, who will tell us how those four terminations became a springboard for his success. So a very warm welcome to My Perfect Failure, John. How are you? I'm great, Paul. Great to be on your show. Thank you for having me. Well, as I kind of alluded to prior to us recording, I was super excited to have you on My Perfect Failure. Because, you know, I've, I've researched you and so forth, but I've a little clue in the intro. I'm super intrigued by Madison Avenue. So hopefully you can give me a little bit of a insights into what Madison Avenue was like, because um, I've, I've got a bit of a, an advertising marketing background myself. But right. what I want to get into today is a little bit of, around where we talk about you were fired four times in seven years. That must that sounds as though it must have been quite difficult. But in the, in the first instance, can we maybe start with how you got into advertising, what that journey was like? Sure. Um, it was almost by accident because uh, I, I didn't really, unlike many people at a young age, I really had no clue what I wanted to be when I grew up. So, um, you know, even in high school, there were subjects I was good at, but I still didn't know what to pursue as a career. And even the first two years of college, I didn't know. And I started getting nervous because once you're in college, and especially in my case, my, my dad was paying the bills and it wasn't cheap. Um, you start to get a little anxious when um, you haven't figured out what you want to be when you mm. grow up. Um, one turning point was, uh, during my sophomore year of college, I was going to a, a liberal arts college, hoping that something at that school would spark a more clarity of what to pursue. And in a way it did, because, um, I was taking maybe the only graphic design class that university had. And, uh, toward the end of that class, the teacher asked me if I could um, see her after class, which is normally not a good <laughs> indication. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but in this case, it turned out to be uh, very fortuitous because she uh, 
asked me what I wanted to do with my life. And when I told her I wasn't sure and asked her why she was asking, she responded, well, you're really talented. And I really would advise you to uh, do something in um, visual, art, visual or communication arts. I don't know what, mm. but you're, you're, you're very talented uh, artistically. My mom was a, was a um, art teacher. So okay. I always, I always knew that I was talented artistically and always, you know, far mm. in any art class I had, I was always the top student, but really never thought of somehow um, turning art into a career. Mm. So uh, when this instructor said to me um, that I ought to consider pursuing something in visual communication, uh, I wasn't exactly sure what that meant. And when I asked her, she said, well, the first thing I would suggest is that you go to a college or university that has a much better curriculum in communication arts or media mm -hmm. or something than, than this school does. So I would encourage you to get the hell out of this school and you really? know, go somewhere else. Yeah. Wow. And I said, well, do you have any, do you have any suggestions? And the school that she suggested was the school that my dad graduated from. <laughs> so, how, how random is that? <laughs> so, I mean, who could have predicted yeah. that? And, uh, uh, so it was not a hard sell when mm. I uh, called my dad up and, and shared the conversation. He said, oh, well, that sounds good. <laughs> um, and and uh, there was Syracuse University, which is probably even more expensive than the school that I was attending at the time. But uh, because it was his alma mater, uh, he didn't he didn't uh, um, he didn't balk at, <laughs> okay. at my idea of transferring. So um, I found myself still uh, going there as a junior um, and trying to figure out what courses to take. And I found myself talking to someone who was, who I thought was some kind of a uh, student counselor to help me figure out what classes to take. And um, I told them a little bit about my background and I don't even, maybe I had a portfolio at the mm. time. I probably did showed him some of my, my drawings or designs or whatever I had. And he basically took my card, my course card, and he filled it out and said, okay, now take that out to the woman over there and she'll sign you up. You'll get processed. And I looked at the card and it was like advertising 101, concepts of advertising, copywriting, strategic thinking. Mm -hmm. And it was all to do mm -hmm. with advertising. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, wait a second, this is, this is all about advertising. I'm, I'm not sure that that's what I want, to which he replied, listen, kid, if you're talented, uh, if you have creative talented and you want to make money, go into advertising. Really? So, so to literally, he just, he basically picked the subject for you and just yes. gave you the card. Yes. And said, so wow. take it to the woman over there. Wow. You'll, you'll sign it up. And it was, it was, and so I <laughs> said, kid, if you're talented and you want to make money, you go into advertising. Mm. I said, uh, okay. <laughs> so I walked over to the woman. I said, by the way, she, she said, okay, well, very good. I'll sign you. I said, by the way, who was that guy? She said, oh, he's the chairman of the advertising department. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So here I am now as a junior at Syracuse University. 
taking my first advertising class is Advertising 101. And the thing about Syracuse, I don't know um, if you know this in the UK, Syracuse is upstate New York. It's okay. about maybe uh, five hours, a five hour drive uh, north of Manhattan. It's maybe a, you know, a two hour or an hour and a half plane, plane trip. But somehow they managed to get uh, teachers. These weren't these weren't teachers. These were pro- working professionals on Madison Avenue oh, really? who, okay. um, who, who would have the willingness to come up uh, to Syracuse University for a couple of days to teach. Why they would want to do that, I have no mm. idea. It certainly can't be money. Um, I think in my particular case of this one instructor, I think he just wanted to get laid, to be honest <laughs> with you. Maybe that I was, think a good that reason was for his him. main motivation. Yeah, probably, <laughs> probably. Because um, because I noticed the first the first uh, class experience with him. He was definitely strutting around the class. Mm. And, you know, you got to realize um, we're first year advertising students and this guy works on Madison Avenue. Yeah. And that that is the Mecca, right? That is mm. the Mecca for anyone in the business. That's where you want to end up. And here, yeah. right in front of us, is a bona fide working ad guy from Madison Avenue. Mm. So it was like having Mick Jagger teach a music yeah. class. Yeah. <laughs> right. So um, all of these girls were like just batting their eyelashes at this guy, right? And uh, and I'm just sitting there just trying to learn something. And about I don't know, a month into the class, it became pretty much aware. It uh, became common knowledge to everyone in the class, pretty much that he was sleeping with one of the girls in the class. Oh, really? OK, so what, it was yeah. to get late. It was to get late. <laughs> well, all I can say is that he was sleeping with one of the mm. girls in the class and okay. everyone in the class knew it because they actually saw him coming out of her dorm, you know, some some, uh, you know, Sunday morning, yeah. uh, you know, rubbing his eyes, you know, yeah. <laughs> with her holding hands or something oh, like that. Okay. So, so, so it wasn't fairly evident. It was it was more than just hearsay, mm. which, you know, kind of um, got under my skin a little bit because um, I noticed that her grades were really good and and mine were not. Mm. And I really didn't think her her work was was any better than mine. And um, it was frustrating me because I was taking the class really serious and it seemed the harder that I worked, the worse my grades got. And I was, I was taking this extremely mm. seriously. Um, my dad was footing the bill. I was, I'd finally decided that advertising was going to be the major I was going to pursue. Mm. Um, I had to make up for lost time because it was a three year program and I had to do three years and two years. Mm. So I had to take extra courses and I was, I was like, uh, I was pulling all nighters to, um, really? to get through things. Yeah. And, um, I could not understand why, um, I was not getting good grades from this guy. And I, I um, the also, th- the other thing about this guy that, um, although I respected the fact that he was a, a working professional on Madison Avenue and was willing to teach the class, um, he was also arrogant. Mm. He was extremely full of himself. Mm. And um, that was a part of his personality that really um, bothered me um, 
because he, he would spend half the class talking about himself rather than, I think, you know, doing something more constructive and mm -hmm. teaching us about the business. He was just kind of boasting about stuff. And, and maybe, you know, in, in retrospect, I was learning from what he was saying, but I didn't like the, the arrogant attitude behind it. And it bothered me. So, um, you know, the whole story. Um, I don't know if I should get into it too deeply, but um, he, um, I was basically flunking the class and I was really angry about it because I didn't think I deserved to be mm -hmm. flunked. And I basically did something that um, kind of put the nail in my own coffin with him. I think, you know, the story, Paul, about the direct mail piece that I sent him. Yeah. Do you remember uh, that? Yeah, I think you're happy to, you know, expand on that for people listening. Well, I think we ought to just tell people they should watch watch the video. Okay, but okay. I, I sent him something that was um, essentially obscene. Mm. <laughs> but, well, what, but, we can, what we can do, I, I can leave a link in the show notes because people, because you've got lots of amazing videos, so that could be one of them. People can. Yeah, he um, as kind of a last. He actually positioned the assignment as a. Uh, an opportunity for all these stragglers in class to catch up. And he was looking directly at me mm -hmm. when he said it. <clears throat> and um, he gave three rules for the assignment. Um, and he said, all you need to do is, is comply with these three simple rules and you'll get an A. And to this day, I will argue that I, I, I absolutely complied with all three mm. of those rules. He said it was a direct mail piece. Um, it had to um, be something that related to him personally. It didn't have to be for a specific product or service. It had to be just something that could go through mm. the mail that related to him personally, and mm. he would never forget it. Mm. And if, they, if, if any student did those three things, they would get an, they would get an A. And instead of getting an A, he uh, pulled me. And this this was the case where I was uh, told uh, that I wanted to that uh, the teacher wanted to speak with me after class and it was mm. not good. Mm. He essentially said, um, let me give you. He said, listen, I'm going to give you a choice. There's there's three weeks to go in the semester. Uh, you obviously uh, don't seem to be um, a good fit for advertising. So I'm going to give you uh, uh, to give you an option. You can either um, drop the class now with three weeks to go. And it'll be like you never you never took the class at all. You get no credit at all for the class. Or you can um, try to uh, tough through it for the next three weeks and accept the grade that I'm going to give you. And he said, and I'll give you a tip. If you do that, the grade will not be good. You know what? As you're, as you're saying that, it almost, I'm almost thinking that that was probably one of the tactics that was, you know, you can probably expand on this, but a tactic that's probably used in Madison Avenue in negotiations on, on when maybe you're having a disagreement with one of your colleagues or somebody that works within your team. Oh, yeah. You know, um, 
and I'll just complete the story and then yeah. I'll conclude it with, with an observation. Um, so it was pretty clear that I really didn't have a choice. Hmm. I didn't want to, it was, uh, I mean, as you know, your, your show is about failure and either way I looked at it, I felt like I was a failure. Um, one would be that I would have to tell my dad that I dropped the class and try to explain why I yeah. decided to, to drop the first class and the major that I finally decided I was going to uh, do or to tell him that I flunked out of it. So neither one was really um, a, a, a great option, but I thought that the better option was to drop the class than to have to admit to my dad that I flunked out of it. Yeah. So as I, uh, he said, I told him, I asked him if I could have time to think about it. And he said, yeah, not, but not too much. He said, I'll give you, I'll give you 24 hours and let me know. <laughs> He's, he, he, what a piece of work, what a piece of work. So, um, I mean, I pretty, I realized pretty quickly that that's really all I needed. There really wasn't much mm. of a choice, but you know, the thing for me, Paul, was that my DNA is to never give up. Yeah. You know what so I'm did, saying? Did, did you know that at the time or was that revealing itself as you were going? Yeah, the my, my, you know, uh, my DNA, because um, it was only uh, a year before that, actually, uh, this was my, so this is my third year of college. Uh, during my high school year of, of uh, during my senior year of high school, um, I had an experience when I was on the track team mm. where I had, I, my, I had a spontaneous pneumothorax a month before mm-hmm. the sea, a spontaneous pneumothorax is a collapsed lung. Yeah. And that happened to me um, a month before track season. And um, despite that, I wasn't willing to let that stop me. Um, I, you know, so the, you know, I don't want to get into that story. Um, but the point is that I'm an, I'm a determined guy yeah. and I don't allow a lot of things that would stop normal people to stop me. Okay. And so when he gave me that option, it, it it wasn't as easy a decision as it might have been for some other people, mm-hmm. because there was a part of me that said, fuck him. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to just work my ass off the next three weeks and get an A. Mm-hmm. But I just felt like with this guy, he there was no he way give you anyway. He wouldn't give you the There's anyway. no way I, I could, I, could do, I, I couldn't do anything to get yeah. an A. I just couldn't win. So mm. I ended up ultimately dropping in class. But, you know, at when he said, you know, I'll give you 24 hours to think about it. And I walked out the door. Uh, he said, let me tell you, let me give you one last piece of advice, kid. Don't go into advertising. He literally said, don't go into advertising. Wow. So um, that was my first experience with advertising in college and um it was pretty tough because i felt like a failure Mm. and um it was during uh christmas break so at least i had three weeks to kind of lick my wounds and process what had just Mm. happened and try to figure out what to do but my problem was i didn't have it was hard enough for me to conclude that advertising was something I should pursue. There wasn't anything else as like a second option. There right. was no yeah. plan B for me to say, well, if advertising 
doesn't work out, I will be an illustrator mm. or I will be a painter or, you know, this is this was back in the in the 70s. Paul said it was not nothing like, you know, website design. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But it's, it's interesting, though, because. You know, I've heard before where people say, actually, never have a plan B. Because if you have a plan B, you might end up doing something that, you know, is your, is a plan B, isn't your plan A. Right, right. So, you know, sometimes people have too many plans and you end up doing something because it is a little bit easier to do. But actually, well, you don't we really can certainly get that fulfillment. Yeah, we can certainly get in a philosophical dis- yeah. discussion about yeah. plan A, A and Bs, mm. but I did not have a B. So okay. um, to your point, because I didn't, Mm. Um, it kind of limited uh, uh, my options, and what I chose as an option was to, was to take the same exact course with a different instructor. Because fortunately, Syracuse had an extensive enough program where they had multiple instructors mm. teaching the same class, which was great. Yeah. So I I suspected and really 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 hoped that it had less to do with me Mm. than it had to do with the personality between me and my instructor and the only way to test that that theory was to take the same course with a different instructor and hope that i did better Mm. and fortunately i did really well so so that that was a real significant turning point that could have ended my career before mm. it even started yeah did you did you send because I, I imagine you've got a certificate right at the end of your course did you get some sort of diploma, a diploma yeah diploma did you send it to the initial <laughs> original teacher you should have sent that in. no but i did i did <laughs> you sent it to him through the post actually that's what you should have done here yeah, you know, this this is under the heading of success is the best revenge. Yeah. Um I I I didn't see any reason to do that at the mm. time. I just kind of went on my merry way mm. and um I, I ended up, you know, I didn't even work in New York when I graduated school. I was afraid of New York, so I worked in two other cities before I ended up in New York. I worked in Atlanta and Chicago before I, I got uh, the balls to uh, subject myself to Madison Avenue because I knew it would be tough yeah. and I wasn't ready for it after college. But here's what's funny, Paul, to your point. So here I am in New York and this is maybe, this is after I started my agency in New York and was actually like the hot advertising, the hot young mm. stud on Madison Avenue yeah. with a hot new agency. And I'm at some event, right? And I'm at the shrimp table, <laughs> stuffing my sauce with shrimp. And I look up and they're on the other side of the table. Who do I see? Really? The instructor. Really? Yes. Wow. Tell me more. And um, I think if I had had, had one more uh, vodka tonic, <laughs> I, might, I might have, I don't know what I would have mm-hmm. done. I just stared at him for a couple of minutes, uh, you know, running through my head, mm. possible scenarios, you yeah. know, pour the drink on his head, yeah. throw shrimp at him, tell him to go fuck himself, give him my business card, you know, with creative mm. director of my new agency. And I did none of the above. I just mm. said, you know, I don't need to do that. 
but it was kind of ironic that I did. That was my only, um, that was my only, uh, interaction with him after that experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, but it just shows you that, you know, when you, when you have that knowing, when you've got the appetite, when you've got the desire, you can turn things around. And can I just quickly go back to the, the college thing where you, where you had the collapsed lung, but you did all your training and so forth. Cause I, high school, I re- high school, yeah, high, high school, sorry. Cause I researched a little bit around that and you mentioned that you got your letter and I don't know what that means. So can you uh, maybe expand on that? Okay. So the Holy grail, I'm sure you know what Holy grail is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so the, when you're in high school and you're on a team, any team, the holy grail of success is what they call a letter. Okay. And it is the the a a a a a cloth letter, literally a letter yeah. of the first letter of uh the name of your high school. Okay. That you can then have your mom sew on a sweater. Oh right, okay, okay. So you can strut around school with your lettuce okay. sweater and try to impress all all the birds. Okay. As you're saying, <laughs> you know. is, is that still a word you use in England? You know what? I in my formative years, I've used that. The reason I'm laughing because I can picture some of my um, female friends saying, "Was she flying? Was she?" Because that's what they were saying to me, like, was she flying? But, yeah, I, you know what, I I haven't heard that for a number of years, but I hazard a guess and say that is still used, you know, that is still used. Well, for people who are listening and have no idea what the fuck we're talking about, girls. Yeah, absolutely, girls. Chicks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We go around the world, so people might not be, yeah, so essentially birds, people would say, you know, you know, what was that bird like you went out with, you know, last week or something? I guess that's from the 60s, right? Yeah, I think 60s, 70s. It was, you know, I think it stems from that era and it kind of migrated into definitely to my youth. And you see my, you see my shirt, right? Yeah, I love your shirt. I love your shirt. You see your Beatles connoisseur. Beatles, yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah, ever. so that's that's what that's what a letter is. It's a, it's a sign of success okay. that. Uh, you you have to, and in order to get it, you have to achieve a certain level. Um, I was on the track team, so for me to get my letter, I had to place. I had to uh, during a number of meets, I had to come in first, second, or third okay. en- enough times to score enough points, credentials to then be um, awarded a letter. Yeah, and you and getting a letter is it just via sport, or can can it come from a variety of different things? I've only I've only seen it in the sports world, okay. you know, athletics, a- athletic things, okay. you know, maybe for cheerleading or something like that. Uh, you can get a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't really know, but it's just, you know, football, basketball, baseball, okay. all, the, all the sports. Yeah. Okay. Maybe it's changed now. Yeah. I don't know. It kind of makes sense to me now. I think as you described, described, I think I may have seen it in a film in a distant past. So can I ask about. Madison Avenue you so you talked about you qualified you decided that you were going to be to work in advertising you you've wanted to start in Atlanta and Chicago because it it was less uh, probably less fearsome than New York what is it about Madison Avenue that makes it is 
you know, at the time, I don't know what it's like now, but at the time that made it more intimidating? Well, first of all, New York is intimidating, okay. regardless of what street you're on. Okay. It's, where are you from? A, are you from? Where are you from in the States? Are you from New York or? I'm from outside of New York, uh, Connecticut. Okay. Um, I grew up um, outside of New Haven, Connecticut, um, which is about a little under two hours drive away from, from Manhattan, New York not City. Not too far away, not too far away. So I would go into New York with my dad to see uh, Yankee games and, you know, stuff like that. Um, and it always freaked me out because I'm kind of a country boy. I mean, where I grew up in Connecticut um, was pretty rural. Mm. Um, my, my house did not have a sidewalk in front mm. of it. Mm. We had woods in our backyard. So that was my, um, that was my upbringing mm. and orientation for the first 18 years of my life. So uh, New York was certainly an exciting place, but it was a little bit crazy and, and very intimidating. Uh, just everything is, is, you know, twice the speed yeah. that I was used to. People would move fast. They talk mm -hmm. fast. They would, you know, give you the finger, the drop <laughs> of the hat, <laughs> you know, probably like London. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. London, London's the same, but I, it's funny with London. I like the energy of that, but it's nice to escape it. So weekends, so working in London's great because you get the, the energy, lots of opportunity, lots going on but it's nice to escape at a weekend so you can draw breath and then go back into it. Right. And I used to love New York um, on the weekends just for that reason, because everyone would leave. Mm, yeah. It would be a ghost town on the weekend. Mm. And, you know, I, I got around town on a bicycle and I, I had to fear for my life <laughs> during the week yeah, when I, I was <laughs> riding a bike in New York, because at any moment someone could pop out of a cab. Yeah. And, you know, knock you on your head. And that happened to me a couple of times. But on the weekend, it was like it was like uh, uh, the streets were empty, especially mm. uh, in the morning on a Saturday, or Sunday morning. You could go out for breakfast and mm. just ride on a bike and ride in the middle of the street. Yeah. Which was great, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I the, to answer your question. So um, New York was and I think to a large extent, even now still is the center of advertising mm. in the world yeah um less so now than it used to be because the digital landscape has made has kind of flattened things out a lot mm. in that respect but it's kind of like you know if you're if you're into if you're an actor and actress you want to go to la that's yeah. that's where hollywood is mm. um or if you're in the record business you know uh sure you can go to london you could go to new york but um you you know if you want to go to the absolute mecca, it's going to be you know for certain industries, uh, it's going to be certain cities, mm. you know whether it be for publishing or advertising or media or or fashion or whatever. So uh, I wasn't um, you know most kids that graduated Syracuse University in New York went directly to New York after Syracuse. Um, I, I, I was afraid to, so that's mm. why I, um, avoided it for the first five years. But once I, I, um, got some confidence and some experience under my belt, I felt like I was more willing to, mm. uh, I still thought I was going to get my ass kicked, mm. but at least I felt like I was more ready yeah. 
for that. Yeah. And and I did get my ass kicked. Okay. <laughs> Multiple so you, times. Yeah. Multiple times. As we this is why four times. Well, I I, I have to say, Paul, all four times were not in New York. One one of those times was in in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So three three of the four times being fired were in New York. Yeah. And when that happened, so you've already alluded to before that you're quite a determined character. So when these episodes happened to you, you obviously, I imagine they were quite painful. What was your behavior when these things happened? How did you, how did you sort of recover and go again? You mean besides drinking? Yeah. Or or (laughs) everything. (laughs) It was good to have a, a, a little drink to you know just to get a little bit of uh, perspective i I, i'm joking i'm joking um i'm sure there were drinks involved but i've never had an issue with that fortunately um uh you know part of me was really discouraged but then um the other part of me became more determined Mm. right um and again it was because uh you know, I'd like to say, oh, I have character and all this stuff, but I, it has much to do with not having a plan B mm. than anything. Um, I really, um, if, the other thing I should say, Paul, and I know you know this, um, getting fired in advertising in New York happens every day of the week mm. to many, many people. Yeah. yeah. I'm, 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 uh, you know, uh, any, any, uh, industry that's as competitive as as advertising is, especially on Madison Avenue, people will get fired on mm-hmm. a regular basis. And sometimes yeah. all it, it it takes is uh, for an agency to lose an account, yeah. and it's through no fault of mm-hmm. uh, uh, the people who get mm-hmm. fired. The agency loses the business uh, if it's a if it's a, a ten million dollar account. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was like three people for every million dollars yeah. worth of business. You're going to, you know, you're going to have uh, a bunch of people be on the street looking for work. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that. Because I guess for for businesses, they have certain accounts. They bring in the money. It means that you can pay staff. You know, you, you can take care of things. But as soon as you lose one or two accounts, the business, you know, a lot of businesses are struggling lose to, to you know one or two big accounts and uh you know it can be quite difficult there was something that i that you mentioned but when i was research when i was researching you that you that you found a book you read a book and it talked about 80 percent of firings or redundancies 80 percent of firings are political executions are political. that's interesting so maybe you can expand on that a little bit i haven't read the book but i as i was uh, researching this i came across that yeah. Well, you know, having said what I just did about uh, agencies losing business as a reason mm. for people getting fired, I would like to say that in my case, that was the reason for me for my mm. termination in every mm. case. I don't think that was true. Mm. That may have been part of the reason I lost my job. But I think another big part of the reason was um, I don't do well in corporate environments. Mm. Uh, some people do, 
because they have the personalities mm-hmm. that do. They know how to um, maneuver mm-hmm. within a corporate environment, which is a talent and a skill mm-hmm. that I admire in people if they can do that. Um, that was a skill that I never mm-hmm. really had, nor did I really try to develop. I think I was naive to think that <clears throat> I could su- succeed simply based on my talent. Mm. I realized fairly quickly that um, in a competitive environment uh, like uh, a big agency on Madison Avenue, um, it has more to do with your ability to see and maneuver within the corporate landscape. Mm. Yeah. And I don't think this is exclusive to New York or Av- Advertising, right. I think this is a, a pretty common thing mm-hmm. in, in any business, in any city. The sooner you're, you're able to kind of um, figure that, that out and, and know how to uh, deal with that without selling your soul. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the key thing, without selling mm-hmm. your soul, because yeah. oftentimes it is going to be a compromise and it really becomes a question of how much you're willing to compromise. Yeah, no, absolutely. Some, no, people, some, people, some people are are more willing than others. Um, I'm not good at compromising. Mm. And what I realized is that later on, it, I didn't realize at this at the time, but the, the personality traits that got my ass fired as many times as it did uh, in New York were the same personality traits that made me as successful as I was as an entrepreneur. So you realized that you, you had that moment of clarity, did you? Only um, in retrospect. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because, you know, when you're on your own, you have to, you have to be a bit of a rebel. Um, when you're trying to make a name for yourself, you have to try to do the kind of advertising that um, has a bit of a bite to it, mm. has a bit of a, what they call an edge to it. Yeah. I think you know what I mean by that. Yeah. So um, that kind of advertising is not going to um, be well received at a big agency because mm-hmm. they're big clients. Uh, you know, when you're you know when you're advertising a, a huge brand or something like that, um, they don't want to do anything that's going to ruffle mm-hmm. feathers, even mm-hmm. potentially. Mm-hmm. You know, they say they want breakthrough advertising, but the reality is. They don't want it to be too breakthrough. Mm. How does um, that? How does that marry with? You know, you go you go and speak to a client, and they've got they're working on a campaign, and you've got this amazing idea that you know you get excited by, and you know that's going to push the envelope and can do amazing things for them. But you know, because you work within a certain agency, that actually, if you suggest that that's essentially you know probably probably get fired or pretty close to it does that sort of restrain or curtail the the creative sort of instincts well that's that's what makes it such a crazy exciting wild business is it's that that dynamic that you just described i think any business that has creativity as currency Hmm is going to um, make for some really dramatic, wild, and crazy experiences. That's yeah. why 
when you look at the movies or the TV series or the, the video series I made, um, it's great fodder mm. for, for, uh, for TV shows and movies, be, yeah. you know, for that reason, because it is very dramatic. Um, and uh, the, the agencies that are most successful, I think, um, don't just have the ability to come up with great creative, but they have the ability to sell it to the client. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And yeah. sometimes you have to be willing to fall on your sword. Mm. You know, you have to be willing to tell the client um, that um, to, to be willing to walk away from business mm. if they're, they're not going to um, share the philosophy of what good advertising is. And, um, the the best the best agencies the most creative agencies the agencies that I really wanted to work at were were not necessarily the biggest agencies mm -hmm. but they were the agencies that had the best creative reputation and won the most awards yeah uh, because uh, they had account people that um, worked worked in sync with creative mm -hmm. people and were on the same team as mm -hmm. creative people and many of the big agencies the creative guys and the account guys were always at odds mm. because the yeah. account guys were, were, would often side with the client yeah. more so than they would with the yeah. agency and the creative team. Right. Yeah. So, so rich, that obviously was a spectacular campaign for you. Can you maybe talk a little bit around that? Because that you, you, you have to be creative and come up with something quite, that, that wasn't done before. And so I guess I'll let you expand upon it, but okay. obviously that was okay. quite a competitive market. So for folks who have no idea what you're talking about, who are listening to this right mm -hmm. now, what Paul just said was Sorrel Ridge, which was the name of a product that people in America had not even heard about at the time. So um, Sorrel Ridge was a very small jam company based in New Jersey that no one in America knew about it unless you shopped at health food stores, because unlike most jams and jellies at the time, and this was 1988, um, at the time in your major food stores, you didn't have jams and jellies that were um, not made with a lot of high fructose corn syrup and sugar. So this, this, this particular product was was healthy in that it was not made with high fructose corn syrup and refined sugar um but before i continue i have to ask you a question do you sell do you have smucker's jam in england not that i'm aware of it might it might okay. be, it might exist but it's something that i'm not aware of okay so you don't have you ever heard of smucker's jam no, but I'm not a connoisseur okay. of okay. them. I'm not a connoisseur. Okay. 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 So this, you know, this may this may be a problem for your listeners if they're listening from other countries, but mm. anyone in America knows that there's certain brands mm. in America that everyone knows mm. simply because they've been around for a long time and they've had great advertising campaigns behind them for years and years and years. And um at the time that we had an opportunity to pitch this account. Um, I was in my early thirties. I had just started working with a guy who was a, a, an account guy, sales guy, really good sales guy. 
and we were looking for new business. And he stumbled on this entrepreneur of a business that sold this product that was a all fruit jam. All fruit, meaning no other crap in it. It was all fruit. It was healthy. It actually tasted good, too. Mm. Um, But it wasn't like your traditional jelly, jam and jelly that was made with corn syrup and refined sugar and hardly any fruit. Mm. Um, And this this uh, the president of this company was looking for ad agencies to do a TV commercial which was super exciting because usually when you're starting out, you don't get an opportunity to do a TV commercial. Maybe you get a opportunity, a chance to do a brochure Mm -hmm. or, you know, some shitty thing like that, but you know, not a TV spot. So this was, this was pretty exciting. So um, not really knowing anything about jam or jelly. uh, We, we went to his plant, his factory in New Jersey and took a tour of the place and he gave us an education in jam making and explained that most of the jams and jellies on the market were just not made with much fruit. It was just mostly you know, sugar, artificial flavors, Mm -hmm. corns, high fructose corn syrup and refined sugar. Um, like this product called Smucker's Jam. Smucker's Jam was by far the uh, Coca-Cola, just the way Coke is to soda, Smucker's was to jam in America. And they had a tagline that everyone in America would know. It was called, with a name like Smucker's, it has to be good. And and that was was, um, uh, burned in the brain of every American for, for years and years and years because for 40 years, they started, I think, um, in the forties doing TV commercials. And, um, so anyone, any pro, any jam company that was trying to compete against, it was like David and Goliath. Okay. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. Even if you had a better product, um, most Americans could give a shit about, yeah. you know, and this is, again, this is now more so that they think about refined sugar because there's an awareness of it, yeah. but I'm talking 1988. Mm-hmm. Right. And so back then it was just, just give me something that tastes good with my peanut butter on bread. And, you know, that's all. And you know, it doesn't cost too mm-hmm. much. You know, that's all I care about. Yeah. So this guy's challenge was to, um, come up with a TV commercial that he felt would um, tell people about his product when in fact the, the elephant in the room was smuckers. And here's, here's what really made the difference. He had a, you know, you talked about me, my experience, my old teacher and did I, did I send him the, my, my diploma when Mm. I graduated, you know, kind of, kind of shove it in his face. Yeah. This guy apparently at one time wasn't sure that uh, his company had a future and was considering selling his company. And one of the one of the companies that he was considering selling his jam company to was Smuckers because they were the yeah. they were the big player in the industry. And he uh, took a trip at one point from New Jersey to Ohio, which is where Smuckers headquarters was Cleveland or somewhere. Yeah. And um, 
had a discussion about the possibility of them buying his company. And they basically apparently insulted him by saying they didn't think his company was worth a dime, mm. but they okay. would take it off of his, they would take okay. it off of his hands for a couple of bucks. Yeah. So rather than coming back and sticking his tail between his legs, he decided that he was going to try to fight them and get mm. them back. And so he told us when we were offered the assignment and we were just one of five other agencies mm. that were given this assignment. The only thing he said was after explaining to us that his product was much better than Smucker's because it was healthier. Mm. Uh, he also said, if you wanted to do something that was competitive against Smucker's, that would be okay with me. Mm. That's all he said. So, I don't know how much time you want me to spend on this, but we did something that was definitely competitive against Smuckers. And, uh, and we thought, you know, that was a great strategy because when you, when you, when you're the small guy, if it, the only way you can compete with them is by saying, by really proving that you mm -hmm. actually are better. Right. Yeah. And, and, and the challenge was when a 30 second commercial, we have 30 seconds to do that. So that's not actually, more like 27 seconds. So there's really not a lot of time to tell a story in that amount of time and do it in a convincing way. But um, if your uh, viewers are interested in this and want to watch what we came up with for a commercial, they, they can see what we did. But it turned out to actually be kind of, again, it's like it was like David with that one stone. Mm, yeah getting exactly the heart of the giant and, mm. and knocking the giant down. And it ended up being one of our most successful accounts and was written up in the Harvard mm. Business Review as a successful case study. That's amazing. And I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes so people can get access and watch it because okay. it, it really is. And, and what I recall from when I, when I was researching. But I should say, I should say, I should say just one little caveat here. When we showed it to the client, his lawyer's, got really nervous mm, yeah because um again they thought that uh because we were basically throwing mud in the eye of smuckers they thought that they they were going to get their ass sued mm. immediately which was a really valid concern mm. so i have to give again this is where you talk about clients who are willing to do mm. stuff and and other ones that aren't to his credit knowing that he 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 might get sued and probably would get sued he still decided that it was willing to take the chance and run the tv spot which he did and ironically smuckers never sued because i think it would have all it would have done was draw more attention yeah. to them and it would have been bad press for them yeah so you kind of you kind of snookered them and obviously the campaign went really well for every well went really well for everybody apart from smuckers so but yeah, so that I I enjoyed the advert. Plus, I enjoyed the story. I was thank you for sharing that. And coming from that moment where years ago, where you had those four, I guess you know, firings in in seven years, you also got to got the opportunity to go to the White House and go to the UN. So maybe you can talk a little bit around that. That's a, that's a fairly significant recovery from maybe i'm not sure you ever thought about not going in not staying with advertising but 
to go from those difficult moments to go where you're going to the White House to meet Barbara Bush and then cycling to the UN, you must have been thinking, what's going on? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, again, what we're talking about for your viewers is um, my advertising stories, which I've actually compiled in a video series that is view viewable online. It's on YouTube mm -hmm. and Vimeo. Uh, for anyone interested, the title is called True Stories in Advertising. And the reason Paul is asking me questions is because he actually watched it, mm. which actually shocked me. Um, there are nine stories. They range from about five minutes to about 24 minutes long. And um, they chronicle some of the wilder and crazier experiences mm. I had during my 30-year advertising career, one of which was getting invited to the White House and the United Nations. So that's just a point of reference. I won't go into it in too much detail because I'd like to encourage people mm. to actually watch that mm. episode, which is entitled, um, let's see, uh, The NBA, The White House, Child Abuse, yeah. and Hitler. Yeah, I so think I need, is the I need, name I need of to it. watch that one again. I, need to watch again. I, had to get the, I had to get the order right. I know yeah. it ends with Hitler. So it's the NBA child abuse, the White House and Hitler. And the story actually um, includes all of those things in a very relevant way. So that's not. Mm, yeah, we're not spoiled, but yeah, we let people. I can put a link yeah. so people can get access to all of them. I think yeah, but it, it, really it has good. to do. I'll just say this, mm. Paul, the. Um, I went to those things, not because I was taking a day trip. Mm. <laughs> I went because I received an invitation in both cases uh, to go, to be mm. invited, where I was honored at both cases mm. for a very effective public service campaign that I was involved with, uh, that I was being acknowledged for in both cases. Mm. So um, uh, one of them was a, um, they both have to do with child abuse. Uh, one of them, the White House one was for a national TV commercial, a national TV campaign uh, that ran during NBA games for several months um, that somehow someone at the White House, I guess he was a basketball mm. fan and some, I don't know if it was President Bush, mm. maybe was watching a basketball game and said, these are great TV spots. We got to find out who mm. did them. At the time, um, Barbara Bush had this thing called the thousand points of light where they were trying to it was it was a, a catchy phrase that they were using to acknowledge average American citizens that they considered these a thousand points mm. of light that were doing things to make the world or make the, the country a better place, mm. you know, a, a point of light. Yeah. So any anyone who was doing something, something that, that was uh, public service related. Uh, in an important or significant way, they felt deserve to be acknowledged so because my tv commercials were running nationally they were pretty visible and someone at the white house saw them and liked them and figured out that i was behind them and that's how i got invited and uh similarly the un was also for child abuse but totally unrelated the, the child abuse was for a print ad that i had come up with on my own 
that involved Hitler. And I, again, I won't go into too much more detail, but maybe I piqued your viewer and mm. listeners' interest to uh, click on the link mm. that maybe you will include. Yeah, yeah, I can put that. And there's, and there's lots more true stories on there, and they're all really good. Uh, there's, there's a number that spring to mind, but I'm a huge Jerry Seinfeld fan, and you've got with the Clio Awards, which is great, and and that's a, that's a great story in itself. But when it finishes at the end, and even Jerry Seinfeld knew about that particular event that you went to, so I found that I found that incredibly funny and that linkage. So if you like Jerry Seinfeld, well, you know, that story again for your viewers is the first one that I created, and the title is the Mo- M- most bizarre evening hmm. in advertising history. Yeah. I believe. That's the title, right? The most yeah, bizarre yeah. in advertising yeah. includes a, includes a clip of Jerry Seinfeld, who actually was aware of that. He wasn't yeah. at it. I was <laughs> actually at it. I was yeah. at it. And you Jerry won. Steinfeld, you, you won. At the, you won. Eventually, when you, yes. you found out, not particularly that night, but I won't go into too much detail because people can watch. But uh, it was an award. It was an award ceremony. We'll just say yeah. that it was an, yeah. a Clio a Clio award ceremony. Clio is the Oscars of the advertising yeah. business. And I was up at the time I was nominated for uh, three, I think three Clio's. Mm. And so yeah. I was there attending as a, as a hopeful winner mm. of a Clio. Yeah. And, and as you said, these are industry, you know, the, like the Oscars. So we're, we're getting towards the end now. I'm conscious of your time. So I think I've got three questions. So one is, people watching listening to this and they potentially are struggling what's your advice to them to overcome you know whether they've been fired or whether they've had a difficult moment do you have one piece of advice where you think actually lean into this or lean into that yeah i think they ought to listen to your show okay wonderful okay wonderful that's (laughs) definitely a good thing to do and listen and listen to this episode as well and enough said and so where can people find you? Obviously, you've got wonderful content. You've got different sort of platforms out there. Where's the best place for people to to find you, John? Well, uh, if they know how to spell my name, they can Google me. Mm. Um, and because I have so much content, I mean, I've been posting content online mm. in various formats uh, ever since the internet began. So I don't know many people who have more uh, digital content than I yeah. do. So I don't even think they have to put anything other than my name and they'll see, they, they, they could put advertising. They could put, uh, I also made a documentary, but I think if they just put my name, uh, a bunch of stuff will come up yeah. in Google. Yeah. F O L L I S. Okay. Perfect. And I will, again, I'll put links on the show notes. And where I think you'd be amazing, I know that we've already discussed this, but I think for businesses, organizations, advertising, marketing companies, where you you need a keynote to come in and talk to them about Madison Avenue, or maybe even they can pick one of the true stories because there's so many. And maybe you could give them like a a 60-minute overview of what that was like and, you know, I'm in the UK. So when you talk about Madison Avenue, I'm always intrigued about the mystique of that because I've got a little bit of a background in advertising and 
Madden, Madison Avenue is kind of like the mecca for us. So if any companies or anybody's out there that would like to speak to John, I'll put details there so it's easily you're easily contactable for um, maybe Thank those you. types of... Uh, I would, I, listen, I love, you know, these stories at the time were not always easy to experience, mm. especially the one getting fired four times. Mm. You know, very, very t- uh, tough. But But now... If I can uh, share those stories, uh, certainly on your show is inspiration mm-hmm. to other people and say that, you know, I, I know you had one guest early on in your show that was talking because she was fired once mm-hmm. and she was talking about it. So if mm-hmm. if if you can get fired four times in seven years like I have and still have a successful career, Amazing you know, maybe career. that can, that can be. Thank you. You know, maybe that can be a, an inspiration to other people, and I'd be glad to, you know, mm. I think it's important. Out, you know, I think, I think it's important to share those moments, those stories, because I think when we experience difficult moments, it can be difficult to be inspired to get up again. If you don't have that resilience trait that you've got, or maybe you don't, we don't have the right people around us, then we might never get up and go and do the things that we want to do. We, you know, we can fall into to do something that, you know, is, you know, we're functioning, we're doing something, but we get no fulfillment. We don't want to get up in the morning whilst we're there doing that. You know, we're not, we're not delivering our, our best. So, so I think that your stories, that particular story, but all the stories are, are wonderful stories. So I encourage everybody that's listening, watching this to to dive into those. And if you've got a particular preference, I know John would be happy to maybe talk to maybe their company, talk them through that and give them a, a maybe a, a, a more broader overview of what was going on there and, and the lessons, sure. the lessons they can take out. And my last question, John, is the recurring question. So if you can invite three inspirational people for dinner, who would you invite? <clears throat> yeah, I was waiting for this. Um... You know, I was thinking of the usual, you know, Jesus and and, yeah. and those guys. You've been invited a lot. Yeah, I, I'm sure. Uh, the problem with that is I don't think we'd speak the same language. So, <laughs> uh, you know, if it was the real Jesus, he would be speaking Arabic or something. And I don't think that conversation would be very good. Yeah. Um, so uh, for lack of um, any other options, um, you mentioned that. Uh, when people go through different different challenges in their life, they need to hear inspiring stories mm-hmm. or have people around them that can keep them from uh, falling apart. Mm-hmm. And that is definitely true. And I'm glad you mentioned that mm-hmm. because not everyone has people in their life that um, can be supportive of them. And I feel very fortunate that one of those people for me was my dad. Mm-hmm. So if I, you know, could think of someone, it would probably be him. Fantastic. Fantastic. And you've got two more. That's all I would need. I think my okay. dad and maybe my, my, my dog, my old dog, okay. I would like, I don't know. Are pets allowed? Pets are allowed. This... Pets are allowed. Okay. So my dad and, and my old uh, golden retriever, okay. I think would be. Okay. And what, and what I'm going to do to make it a three, if I'm in the area, I might just knock on your door and say, if you've got a spare plate. That, yeah, that, absolutely. That, that, I, that, that gives us three. 
it'd be great. It would be great to meet you in person. Absolutely. So if you ever, you know, come stateside, let me know. Yeah, I, I, I will do that. That that has to happen. I talk. To I, so I listen. I may be the. I think I may be in London before you're in New York because I I, I am dying to get to the UK. Okay. Okay. And, well, and, would that be amazing? Yeah, and uh, my my girlfriend's. Um, uh, my my uh, my girlfriend's daughter married a a Brit, so oh, oh, we wow. have been personally invited by uh, his parents to visit. So um, as soon as soon as I can convince my girlfriend to get on the plane mm. again with you know with COVID and everything, mm. uh, we will be in England. Well, w- wonderful. If you're in around that London area, let me know, and we, maybe we can um, have lunch and maybe around the advertising area we can maybe go around and. Uh have lunch around that area, Soho around that area. That would be awesome. Okay, John, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. I was dying for this particular episode because I'd been sent your information and it was wonderful to research you and now to meet you and to and to, to get to know you. So thank you so much. And thank you everybody for tuning in to this episode of My Perfect Failure. You can find me at www.myperfectfailure.com and please look out for the next episode of my perfect failure take care for now cheers bye thanks for listening to my perfect failure podcast be sure to visit www.myperfectfailure.com to join the conversation subscribe to our podcast on itunes or google play look out for our next episode